Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Welcome back, everyone, to the Aspire Podcast, and I have the amazing opportunity to speak with a good friend, Eric Scheniger. He's phenomenal. If you haven't had a chance to read any of his many books or seen him speak, you absolutely need to connect with this man. He is a fantastic leader, and I am so excited to discuss his new book, Disruptive Thinking. Eric, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. Oh, it's my honor to be here, Josh. Not too long ago, I got a chance to meet you in person. You got to speak in front of my entire district at the Cowboys practice facility, The Star. Yeah, and you know what? That was one of the highlights of my professional career because growing up in the Northeast as a lifelong Cowboys fan, I had to endure a a lot of, I guess, hatred from Eagles, Jets, Giants. But uh, yes, it was amazing to be there a few years back. Yeah, it was such a highlight of just convocations that I've been a part of. You did such a fantastic job, and the message resonated. I know our staff, they were speaking about that event for quite some time, and of course the pandemic hit. So it was perfect as far as like the digital space that you were discussing and all of the amazing ways to engage our students. And I know that translated into our virtual learning. So thank you for your message. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's like none of us had a crystal ball. But, you know, when we think about just preparing for this unknown, it it really is grounded in that sort of focus on, well, let's get our kids to think and apply their thinking in meaningful ways. Before we discuss your new project, your new book, I want to have a chance for you just to share with the listeners who you are. Of course, you were on the podcast before. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, please do. Eric shared so much wisdom and insight through that episode. So make sure you go back and check that out. But Eric, will you just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah. And, you know, I'll start off by saying that I am the last person that anyone would be inviting onto a podcast if I still had the same mindset that I did 12 years ago. You know, former science teacher, former principal, thought I kind of had it all figured out. You know, we often teach the way we were taught, lead the way we were led. And that was me in a nutshell. And I was comfortable or afraid of change. And that's why, yeah, status quo, baby. And uh, that's kind of how it was for me until, you know, when we think about change, change happens when we either see the value or we are made uncomfortable. I was made uncomfortable when a student told me school is like a jail Mm -hmm. because I spent time actually running through my building, chasing kids. And then I got on Twitter and Twitter kind of opened my eyes to what was possible. Those two cataclysmic events disrupted my mindset and really put me on a path to be a better leader and a better learner. And it was at that stage where back in New Jersey in 2009, you know, personalization, blended learning, innovation, digital leadership. We were doing that all 12 years ago, but we were actually improving achievement in the process. So after my teachers did amazing things, and that's the only reason why I get to do what I do because my teachers, I then left the principalship over seven years ago. And now I work with schools, districts, organizations all over the world on how do we fundamentally transform teaching, learning, and leadership. And you're doing such amazing work across the country. And you talked about learning through experience and as a principal, learning through mistakes. And 
I, I know that based on that experience, it really drove to this book, Disruptive Thinking. Yeah. And I'd say it was a culmination of everything. You know, if you're listening and you think, well, I can't be an author, I can't be a speaker. You know, I go back to when I, the best experience I ever had offsite when I was a principal was when I took my students to Google. And when we were at Google, my kids were just amazed of how many people at Google didn't have degrees in computer science or anything. And, you know, when I look at the lead up to this book, you know, I still don't consider myself an author. My mom insists on proofing every single one of my blog posts and I blog once a week. And speaking is something that did not come naturally to me. I'm always working at it. So as I worked on a few books, you know, I'd say that my, my recent one, Disruptive Thinking in Our Classrooms, Preparing Kids for Their Future, really was a result of the work that I've been doing in schools. Because as we were talking off air, you know, even when a lot of people went to remote, I was still working in schools during the pandemic. And I was so inspired by how teachers, administrators, communities really began to not look at the challenges per se, but the opportunities inherent in creating experiences that have value for their kids now and in the future. And all throughout the book, I give credit where credit's due. It's to all of the teachers, the schools, the administrators that I've worked with for the last couple of years that have really put ideas, put research, into practice and actually have tangible evidence to show that improvements have taken hold. So Eric, when you were going into these schools through the last couple of years and you're writing this book, what were some main concepts that you really wanted to shift the mindset on? Yeah, I, I think one of the concepts is, you know, that's the way we've always done it is the most dangerous phrase in education. And we are often, you know, we become comfortable, you know, in one of my favorite movies, The Greatest Showman, Hugh Jackman, I believe he said, you know, comfort is the enemy of progress, yep. which it is. And one of the biggest inhibitors to change is high test scores. Oh, we got high test scores. We got it all figured out. Well, if we go then in the classrooms and all kids are doing the same thing at the same time, the same way, we could be pretty honest. That's not preparing kids for the world that we see now. When we think about disruption, disruption has been a part of the world ever since I'd say the World Wide Web really took hold. And you know, you look at disruptors today like Amazon. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm still kicking myself. Actually, I'm, I'm mad at my parents for not investing in the IPO for Amazon stock back in the late 90s. But you know, we look at you know how we are educating our kids and you know the passive consumption, the instruction, what the teacher does, if that is the emphasis, we, we really miss out on learning. You know, one thing that I emphasize, you know, with not only the schools that I work with, but in the book is don't prepare our learners for something, prepare them for anything. And that's a disruptive world. We've had the fourth industrial revolution, which we are in the midst of now. Now we still have the pandemic. So the key is how do we future-proof learning prepare them for anything. And it comes down to two things, two fundamental, keep it simple, stupid. Let's empower our kids to think and let's get our kids 
to apply their learning in relevant and meaningful ways. And that really is the emphasis of disruptive thinking. It is how do we allow or how do we create experiences that allow our learners to replace conventional ideas with innovative solutions to authentic problems? Because that is the world we live in now, and that will be the world of the future. I love that piece because you're right. The the educational landscape has changed drastically because of the pandemic. And we have 15 different models of education right now because we were forced to. And I would love for you just to share a little bit with the listeners about what are some practices they can do within their schools as, as leaders to do those two things, right? To empower those in the building, but then also, you know, to be creative and innovative to, to real world problems. And I think that it, it comes down to a, a few things, you know, first off, don't expect others to do what you're not willing to do or have not done yourself. So modeling is so critical. Now, when we begin to model, whether you are a building leader, district leader, teacher leader, community leader, modeling is one step. The other is you get what you inspect. And that really is about how we create a culture of accountability and feedback, not accountability to get rid of people, but we can't improve if we are not getting that timely, practical, specific feedback regularly. And, you know, when I always talk about, you know, you can have the best vision in the world and a vision is nothing without action. But when we take our actions, we have to be able to determine whether or not they are leading to improved outcomes. And if they aren't continue to go back to, Hey, what do we really need to do to help our kids? So, you know, I think it's that balancing act between the modeling and, you know, I, I, whether you call it uh, management by moving around or learning walks, I don't care. But how are we having, creating those feedback conversations? The other piece that I think is when we look at resistance to change is how we begin to fundamentally rethink professional learning. Professional development, oh, let's go get developed today. Typically, most people don't want to get developed. It's one and done. It's drive-by. We got to shift the focus to professional learning, which is characterized by ongoing job-embedded experiences that are laden in feedback, where there's accountability, but also autonomy, trust. And all of that can be linked to really a sound research base, especially from Linda Darling Hammond out of Stanford University. But the Wallace Foundation has also curated a lot of research on what good professional learning looks like. Feedback and disrupting the professional learning. I love that. So what are some additional skills that leaders need to be disruptive within a campus? Because I know there's a lot of change makers out there and there's a lot of visionaries that want to do something, but what are some like real skills that should be improved to be a disruptor? You know, in the book for teachers, I really talk about moving away from skills to competencies. You know, you could be skilled at throwing a baseball, but totally incompetent as to how to play the game. Now, I'm not saying skills aren't important. I'm not saying knowledge isn't important, but what's a competent learner, competent leader, skills, knowledge, behavior, aptitude, mindset, So we want to develop leaders who, whether in the classroom, building, or district, who are competent 
at building relationships with people that can demonstrate empathy, that can communicate effectively, that understand that you know, a vision and mission is pointless without action. So as you look at those competencies, you know, I'd say empathy, emotional intelligence, communication, creativity, critical, disruptive thinker and applier. But again, that's no different than we want in our classrooms. So you could say they're interchangeable. What we want from leaders is is what we want our learners to be able to do. And, you know, I I think that ability to create a culture of trust where gratitude, kindness, grace go hand in hand, because everybody needs that a little bit right now, but understanding that the status quo doesn't necessarily cut it. And and I, I look at it this way. You know, I also talk about in the book, there's no perfection in education. There's no perfect teacher, school, district state doesn't exist. And I think leaders have to be these visionary, inspirational, motivational, pedagogical, transformational agents of change in order to keep moving systems forward. So I want to have you look into your crystal ball a little bit. Because education has changed I would love to hear just your vision of what the educational field should look like moving forward. Wow. I wish I had a crystal ball could have predicted the pandemic, but none of us did. No. And, you know, when I look at this, you know, it's interesting. I I think so many important lessons were learned during the pandemic to set the stage for what the future of learning could look like in schools. So in, in my crystal ball, I see districts that have learned those lessons, reflected on them, are using them for a foundation for change, are going to have a virtual option in districts for every K-12. Because the one thing that we've learned is face-to-face school does not work for every kid. Having kids sit in classrooms, go through however many periods of the day does not work. Having that standalone virtual option. I also think that when we look at the use of time, you know, what I hope at least in my crystal ball, says that we will move away from an archaic calendar that was designed for kids to go work in the factory and in the fields to a competency-based system where kids progress not by their age, not by seat time Carnegie units, Mm -hmm. but how they have approached, met, exceeded the standard. You know, those are two things. You know, and it's interesting because I open up the book with uh, the Jetsons and it's, it's amazing because the Jetsons predicted numerous things that came to fruition, Definitely. like video conferencing. Yep. And the Jetsons was in the late sixties, everybody long time ago. <laughs> you know, my crystal ball also sees how we're going to be able to leverage outside experiences using hologram technology. Mm-hmm. We saw it during Dick Clark's new year's Eve and I was freaked out. <laughs> it is here, everybody. Yeah. So you think about how, you know, with hologram teachers, competency-based learning, asynchronous pathways that, you know, so many districts have the pressure of staffing. Mm -hmm. And there are, now I'm not saying replace face-to-face teachers. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in a disruptive world to have more pathways for our kids to be successful. Why is that important? You know, we talk about personalization. Voice, choice, 
path, pace, place, all of those crystal ball predictions are reliant on creating that experience for kids that really better meets their needs. If we actually leverage the lessons that we've learned. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So Eric, you're talking about all these different things, right? Virtual reality, you're talking about holograms. I'm thinking in my head, artificial intelligence and coding and all these different things as far as what our students are going to be facing in a very short period of time because... I mean, let's be honest, those things are coming and coming at us very fast. And are our students prepared for that reality? I guess that's the question I would ask everyone listening. You know, how well does your classroom, your school, your district, how well does that culture align with this disruptive world? And the lessons are right in front of us, Josh. Lessons that we can't turn away from. You know, we can look at how disruption caused the demise of Blockbuster by Netflix. We can look at how disruption in the form of Amazon is just eradicating all different types of shopping around forever. We saw Uber, Lyft take down the taxi industry. We saw the iPhone and basically the iPhone took over BlackBerry because they got the touch screen first. If we don't change, the world's going to continue to move forward. Now, I'm not saying there isn't great work going on in schools. There is. But we have to be honest. In this disruptive world, are we helping our kids become competent in emotional intelligence, time management, self-regulation, remote collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, problem solving? Some of those are not new competencies. But these are what our learners need. So we need to take a critical lens to our culture and say, hey, if our kids were going to leave our classroom today, how prepared would they be for the world now, let alone the future? So when you are going out throughout the country, visiting all these different schools, what are some best practices that you've seen within these buildings that are creating future-ready skills? Yeah, you know, I've seen so many districts and classrooms really use time better. I always say, if you're a teacher, you can control one thing and one thing only, that time you have with your kids. And, you know, what we're seeing is a a move towards personalization. You know, personalization is less of a focus on what's in the curriculum, what's on the test, and focuses on the who, our learners, to emphasize ownership of learning. And what I've seen is, you know, a lot of teachers and schools embrace uh, blended pedagogies as a way to personalize. Blended instruction is what the teacher does with tech. Hey, all you kids are going to go use Kahoot, answer low-level questions at the same time, the same way. Now, I'm not saying it's bad, but that's an instructional strategy. Blended learning is where kids use technology to have some aspect of control over path, pace, and place. So you ask me what I'm seeing. Going back to the time, I'm watching teachers K-12 across the country implement station rotation, choice boards, playlists 
flipped classroom. What do they all have in common? They all still have a whole group direct instruction component, which is a short period of time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops. But then it's how the teacher use that time. In station rotation, data is used to group, regroup, differentiate, provide targeted instruction, where teachers are getting a small amount of kids to focus their time on when kids are doing choice boards, playlists, or flip lessons. That allows the teacher using data to focus on the one or two kids that need the attention the most. That is how you close achievement gaps. That is how you empower kids. That is how if kids are already at standard, they can follow their own path. But we're far long ways away from having these strategies be scalable, especially at the secondary level. So what about blended as far as subject matter? Have you seen a lot of those different models where it's not just so compact of, I'm just doing math here, I'm just doing science? In elementary and lower middle, it's just natural. Sure. But you know the whole aspect of relevance in, in the disruptive context is we should be teaching and kids should be learning through interdisciplinary connections and projects. Right. That's something that we mandated in my school when I was a principal 12 years ago. You know, so if kids are learning science in isolation and they're really passionate about math or ELA, we've lost those kids. So the whole idea is regardless of what we teach, how are we making those connections? Just not with context. Oh, here's how you can use science and English, but how are kids applying it in ways that really matter? And that's one way to do that is put kids in the position to authentically solve real world problems because real world problems, they will have to utilize no matter what the subject is, another one, whether it's math, ELA, science. So again, it comes down to a mindset shift. I'm hoping that everyone that's listening is ready to flip something on its head today as far as changing maybe some traditional practices to, to help the learners become future ready. I'm just wondering, as far as our aspiring leaders, if there's someone that's brand new to the profession or a veteran, what is something that they can do tomorrow or next week to become a disruptive leader? Understand that all kids have greatness hidden inside of them. It's a job of an educator to help them unleash that greatness. So as you think about your role as a disruptive leader, the first step when we know why we do what we do, we do it because of kids, but we have to Be honest about where we are. That is the hardest thing that any of us can do because we might view ourselves as inadequate failures. That's how I, when the kid told me school is like a jail, I thought I was a failure. But we have to be honest about where we are in order to get to where we want to be, but more importantly, where our learners need us to be. And another thing I'll say, you know, as you think about, your role as a leader. Yeah, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Giving up that control is another thing that I struggled with early on in my career as an administrator. If you want to build a culture of trust, you got to be willing to give up some things to delegate, lead by consensus, empower others to take risks. And it all comes back down to, well, are you willing to do that? You know, in the book, I talk about moving from the comfort and fear zones 
to the learning and growth zones. And as leaders, we need to reside in those learning and growth zones if we want others to do the same. Yeah, so true. Eric, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Yeah, well, I'm kind of everywhere. <laughs> you um, are. My, my professional life is an open book. So you could Google Eric Scheninger and you'll find me on Twitter. I'm E underscore Scheninger. But then again, you know, website, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Voxer, Facebook, I'm on it all. If you have any questions, I will get back to you. So please, please, please don't be afraid to reach out, ask for feedback, ask me to amplify something of yours that you're working on. My job is not just to serve the schools and districts that I'm fortunate to work with, but anyone in the field of education who wants to create a culture of disruptive thinking. Well, that's a good point, Eric. Let's talk about you know things that you provide to our educators, right? So I know you speak. Obviously, you have lots of books. What else are you available for? Yeah, I, I mean, I love doing keynotes, but my real passion is the job-embedded, ongoing work with districts. Sure. And you know, being able to start with some districts in over two, three years, able to really show the transformative changes that have taken place. So whether it's coaching leaders, teachers, superintendents, boards, this past summer, I mean, almost all of my days have been ongoing multi-year projects. And that allows me to really see the process through. But, you know, again, when you look at change, you look at learning, learning and change are not an event they are a process and it takes time. So, you know, whether it's face-to-face, hybrid, remote, you name it, you know, I am a jack of all trades. But the bottom line is efficacy. You know, I, I always say, if a district or school fails, I fail. Because we are intimately tied together. Our success is contingent upon both parties, you know, working to achieve those shared goals. Well, you are a jack of all trades, my friend. And for those who are listening, if you haven't connected with Eric, make sure you do that. And he is not lying. If you reach out to him, he will respond and he will be a huge resource. I promise you that. So make sure that you are checking out everything that Eric is doing. Of course, pick up his latest book, Disruptive Thinking, and I will have all of those things in the show notes. So make sure that you're clicking on those and buying that book immediately. Eric, you are fantastic. I love having you on the Aspire podcast. And I just want to thank you and all the other listeners who are in the trenches. You know, you all are the real innovators. You are the real trailblazers. It's not like, it's not people like me that aren't in a classroom or school all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up, caring about kids and each other and, and really exemplifying why the profession of education is the noblest profession. Thank you, everybody.